Open your Bibles tonight to Ezekiel chapter 2. As Gino said, we're going to continue our study through Ezekiel. We're going to look at uh, verse 8 of chapter 2 all the way into chapter 3, verse 3. So we're moving. The title of our overall series is Hard to Heart because we see that... uh, the children of Israel are being brought back from a rebellious hardness of heart uh, to a place where their heart is a heart of flesh that God can work with and, and uh, you know, mold into his image. Uh, tonight's message is how to eat a sweet scroll because uh, 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 Ezekiel is going to have uh, dinner on this scroll. Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's Job 23, verse 12. What food is to the natural man, God's word is to the spiritual man. God's word is compared to bread, to water, to milk, to meat, and to honey. Each of those metaphors in its particular context suggests many important meditations for us that we could go into. Three of God's prophets were commanded to take the metaphor of God's word as food somewhat literally. They were each commanded to eat God's word, or at least a portion of God's word. In Jeremiah, we read, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. That's Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Then John, on the island of Patmos, in the book of the Revelation, in chapter 10, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. The third prophet commanded to eat God's word was Ezekiel. And he does so in the verses that we will be covering tonight. We want to see in his physical act, of course, the spiritual application, both for him but mostly for ourselves. Ezekiel was in exile, having been forcibly removed from Judah during the second siege by the Babylonian army. He was living by the river Kebar. One day the heavens opened to him and he saw a vision of Jesus Christ controlling the ebb and flow of world history. The Lord was raising up nations and he was striking down nations according to his plan to come into the world as a man through the nation of Israel. He was dealing with Israel. Ezekiel would never get to serve in the temple at Jerusalem as a priest. He was instead being called to be a prophet. In Babylon, he would first prophesy that the glory of the Lord was departing from Israel and from the temple. It would be gone a long time, but his glory would return in a yet future time when the kingdom of God would be established upon the earth with Jerusalem as its capital. Now, we're in the middle of God's call and commissioning of Ezekiel for his ministry. In the opening verses of chapter two, we saw that Ezekiel was commanded to do something that he could not do. He had fallen prostrate before the Lord and could not get up. It was the original guy that had fallen and could not get up. But when God told him to stand, he was enabled and empowered to obey by the power inherent in the word. We thus learn the lesson that God's command is God's enabling. We, we cannot do in our own strength what 
we ought to do or what God commands us to do, but with His command comes the enabling. This is why a lot of times when we counsel people, if they're not believers, we call it pre-counseling, and it's really evangelism because you can't expect an unbeliever to love his wife the way Christ loves the church. Believers have trouble with that. And they have the indwelling Holy Spirit and need to be reminded that, yeah, you can because God says you can and His command is His enabling. And so it, it's not useless to counsel unbelievers, non-believers, but you're, you're really trying to lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. They need to get saved. And then I don't know about you because I got saved later in life in my 20s, but when I got saved, all of my problems were gone. I didn't have any of the problems that I had. I didn't need counseling anymore. That's just the way God worked. My, my marriage, my addictions, all of that were removed from me at that time. Now, I'm not saying that that is true of everyone or you know, that if you're still struggling with something that uh, you're not really a Christian. But, you know, that, you know I'm, my marriage was in the tank. My addictions were getting con- the, the better of me. And I, I came to know the Lord. And the Lord just said, you know, uh, we're going to start clean here. We're going to start from scratch. And if you get into some trouble, it's going to be your fault, you know, because I've crucified your flesh and given you a fresh start. And, and so, uh, you know, God enabled you to do what you cannot do. Uh, and so we need to be careful counseling non-believers Really what we're doing with them is sharing Christ with them. We're trying to lead them to faith in Jesus Christ for their eternal soul, of course, but also to have abundant life now because many times their problems will disappear or dissipate or be dealt with by the Lord. In fact, we're told that the Spirit entered Ezekiel. The Spirit is mentioned 52 times by Ezekiel. Commentators say that one-seventh of all the references to the Spirit in the Old Testament are in this book. And, and really, that's a lot when you consider the entirety of the Old Testament. One-seventh of the references are here. Now, as we encounter Ezekiel in these next few verses, he is a spirit-indwelt man for whom God's Word is God's enabling. So are we spirit-indwelt men and women for whom God's Word is His enabling. On his feet before the Lord, indwelt by the Spirit, Ezekiel is given a portion of God's Word and commanded to eat it. What can we make of this? Well, we first apply it in a general way and say along with Jesus, quoting Moses, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. That's Luke chapter 4, verse 4, where Jesus quoted Moses in Deuteronomy 8, 3. I would note that Ezekiel is given a particular portion of God's word that will constitute his ministry to Israel for the next 22 years. While we are to take in all the word of God, all the Bible, like food, it is taken in a portion at a time. In other words, there is an overall understanding that the word of God is my spiritual food. But we must also sit down and take in portions on a regular basis. Now, some interesting things happen as Ezekiel is commanded to eat this portion of God's word. I hope we can learn something from him. And mostly I want to emphasize tonight what I'd call his predispositions to God's word. And by that, I mean, Ezekiel had settled some things in advance of taking in the word of God. We'll see that before he actually has the word in his mouth and swallows it and digests it, he was predisposed to a few things that I think are quite important. 
We will get more out of God's word if we, too, have settled these same things in advance of taking it in. And so let's begin in verse eight of chapter two. But you, O son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth. Eat what I give you. We must hear the word of God. Now, this would include any method of encounter with it, whether we're reading it and hearing it that way or listening to it read or listening to it taught, etc. Any way of encountering the word would come under this idea of hearing. But of course, we're not just talking about the physical hearing. There's an aspect of hearing, a spiritual aspect that is captured again by Job, who said this. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Now, his eye didn't literally see God because no one can see God and live in these current mortal bodies that we dwell in. No, there is a hearing that causes us to be able to see God. I'd put it like this. We want to hear the word in such a way that we see God revealed in it. We want to hear the word in such a way that we see God revealed in it. Simply put, we're looking for Jesus when we encounter the Word of God. He said of himself that I came in the volume of the book. It's a quote from the Psalms that is recorded in Hebrews chapter 10, Jesus saying of himself, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. The entire Old Testament is about the coming of Jesus Christ. The phrase, the volume of the book, literally refers to the knob on the end of the roller that would roll up these manuscripts. He's there in prophecy, he's there in poetry, he's there in types, he's there in metaphors. Jesus is in the Old Testament in every conceivable way. And since he is there, we must find him. We're not just obligated to, we're excited to. Now this seems obvious. Everybody, I know you're thinking... Pastor Gene, maybe you shouldn't go away because this seems obvious. Is this an old study? No, this is new stuff. But it's not obvious because I realized today I was reading this, even as a Bible teacher, I find that there are times I can teach an entire study from God's Word and never even mention the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. I've done it. Uh, not, not on purpose, but you get so caught up in, in, in what you're teaching and, and what you're teaching is good and it's important and, you know, and all. But, I, you know, I recommend if, you know, to Bible teachers who are using a computer, after you're done with your study, search for Jesus. You know, run a word search, you know, go edit, find Jesus and see how many times you've really mentioned the name of the Lord or even really referred to the Lord. Uh, we can get caught up with important doctrines and details and duties and forget to connect them to the Lord who loved us and loves us still. Now, I want you to hear me. Everything in the word is important, but we must connect it to Jesus. That is how we hear. Now, next, Ezekiel was told, do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. There was a clear separation between Ezekiel and his fellow Israelites. He was to maintain a separation. The only way he might reach some of them was by maintaining that separation. We must be separate from those who are rebelling against God. It's the only way 
we might reach some of them. In every generation, every few years actually, there is kind of a movement, whether it's a mini movement or a maxi movement within Christianity, for Christians to become more like the people of the world. Right now there's a lot of emphasis, I don't know if Gino talked about it specifically Sunday night in the emergent church, but there's a lot of emphasis on doing things like, hey, let's, let's cancel church on Sunday morning to show our neighbors that we're just normal people, just like them, and go out bowling on Sunday morning. And, and that way our neighbor will look at us and say, man, that's so cool. You love God so much that you don't go to church and, and you go bowling just like us. Uh, yeah, and it's so cool that we're already doing that. So what do we want to go to church the other three Sundays for? So when you quit going to church altogether, that's for us, you know. I mean, so and, and they're, they're really, you know, we're not totally affected by that. But here's what happens: you mention these things, and people say, "Oh, that would never happen." But in small, subtle ways, this is what people are moving towards. They're trying to be what they call relevant. I want to be relevant. And so I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be separate. I don't want people to think I'm weird. And so I want to be and look and kind of act more like the world so that, you know, if, you know, some crisis does occur, maybe by some chance they will say, is there anybody here that's different and has eternal life? And then I can raise my hand. So, yeah, well, actually I do, even though there's no, you can't tell. And now I can share Christ with you. And so it's just kind of a weird thing that's going on right now. So we want to remain separate in order to reach people. Biblical separation is the recognition that God has called believers out of the world and into a personal purity in the midst of sinful culture. Separation is your commitment to a godly standard of behavior. It's up to you to set the standard based on what God has said in his word. Here's an example from the time of uh, Ezekiel. Daniel, who was a contemporary, you remember when he got thrown into the uh, palace there and they were grooming these young men for service in the court, they wanted to serve them all kinds of delicacies from Babylon. And uh, Daniel said, hey, I've never eaten any of that stuff my whole life. I'm a Hebrew. I have dietary restrictions that I observe. And uh, he said, I'm I'm not going to eat that stuff. He determined in his heart to remain pure, uh, and because he had found favor, they said, okay, well, you know, go ahead and eat this crazy pulse stuff, you know, and we'll see how you look after that. And God honored that, and they looked better and felt better, and they were healthier than all of the other, uh, you know, uh, individuals and stuff. And so, but he, he took a stand based on his personal uh, separation. And Daniel continues to do that. Later on, when, you know, in the, in, under the Medes and Persians, they said, you can't pray publicly. Daniel said, wow, I, I, I've been praying three times a day ever since I can remember. It's just something I do. He wasn't legalistic about it. He was, he was intimate about it with the Lord. And so he continued to pray, and it engendered the lion's den incident. You know, and and uh, didn't turn out well for his enemies. You know, as as I recall, uh, they hungry lions. You know, they wanted to eat Hebrew, and then they couldn't, and so then they ate Persian. You know, later on that afternoon. So, uh, and so he maintained biblical separation. We say that you are to be in the world, but not of the world. There should be something different about you. And if you're looking for Jesus in the Word, if you're hearing the Word in that way. 
then you're going to be different because you're going to be being changed from day to day to become more like him. Jesus is the ultimate example of separation. He was constantly around and surrounded by sinners. He was the consummate example of being in the world. I mean, he left heaven to become in the world. But though he was accused of sinning by association, he remained separate and thus affected by, uh, not affected by, but he affected those that he was around. Uh, those, the stories where Jesus is at dinner with the Pharisees, publicans and sinners, they're just precious, you know. Uh, and you know that he is just totally affecting those people with his purity and his love and his grace and his mercy. And the best that the Pharisees and scribes can do is say, well, if he's at their table, he must be a drunken sinner. A gluton, as we like to say, you know, he's just, you know, a glutton and a, and a wine bibber. And uh, and of course, he was neither of those. He was he was the son of God, but and he was called to be. And so he was in the world, but never of the world. I think the best way to understand separation is to bring Jesus into every situation. You don't need any rules or lists or prohibitions if you are in a close relationship with the Lord because you won't do anything that would distance you from Him. Uh, you know, if you want to be with the Lord and He's your best friend, He's your lover, He's your, you know, your compadre, uh, He's with you, you know, He's not somebody that you want to leave outside. Uh, he's not somebody you, that you want to think, well, I you know, kind of like to do this, but it might offend Jesus, so I better do it on the sly when He's not looking. Oh, Jesus, look over there. And, and, you know, I think I see Moses and stuff, you know, and you're, you're you know, uh, it doesn't work that way. And so if you're in a relationship with the Lord, it's kind of like you're how you're like, you know, I know this is true because we joke about it. It's when you fall in love and you get Twitter pated and, and then all of a sudden, you know, you just want to be with the person that you love and all of your habits change and, and, you know, wearing that old ball and chain, you know, and, and there's all those terrible jokes about how awful it is, you know, and, and you've lost all your freedom and you're going down, you know, and stuff. And marriage is a great institution, but who wants to live in an institution, you know, and, and there's a million of them and stuff. And, and so, um, by the way, my pet peeve, I hate going to weddings where they make jokes about marriage like that and they talk about how hard marriage is and how almost no one can do it. And, it, you know, people everywhere are falling like flies, you know, but maybe, maybe, maybe if you, you know, stick with the Lord, maybe you'll be the exception. I mean, maybe. Probably not is the implication. You know, I think it's kind of a hold harmless clause on the pastor's part. He's like, hey, I, you know, no one really expected this to work from the beginning. And so you can't blame me for marrying these guys, you know, and stuff. But I, I just I can't take it. I can't stand it. One of these I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to have to be restrained at a wedding. But anyway, uh, so uh, so, you know, uh, you, you once you fall in love like that, you just want to be with the other person and you don't, you know, hopefully you don't go some of the places you used to go and do some of the things you used to do because they're just inappropriate and, and, and they're not, you know, as fun anymore as they used to be. And so you don't need all kinds of rules. You just need to realize that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And do you do you and Jesus really want to do that right now? Do you really want to be in this situation with the Lord uh, or if you were, you know, what, how would Jesus handle this? 
you know, that kind of a thing. And so now in verse 9, now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. We assume this to be the hand of the Lord in his pre-incarnate appearance to Ezekiel. And then in verse 10, then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. The scroll was unrolled so Ezekiel could see it better. Writing on both sides was a little unusual, not totally unheard of, but it signified a message or messages of great importance. And it also precluded you from adding anything to it. There were no addendums. There were no footnotes. Uh, It was just full and, and done. He could see that the content was lamentation, mourning, and woe. If we want to compare this to physical food, we might call this roughage. It was going to be a rough message. We've already said that it involved explaining to the Hebrews that the glory of the Lord was departing from the temple. Definitely not what the people wanted to hear. Not the ear-tickling, everything's going to be okay, we're headed back to Jerusalem, God would never let the temple be destroyed message. You know, I'm sure a lot of them were talking about the old stories of the ark and how the ark had magical powers and, you know, knocked down the gods of the Philistines and all of that. And then they just absolutely, if you read Jeremiah, they absolutely did not believe that God's glory would depart from their temple. And they banked on it. They, you know, they were, they were counting on it. Uh, and um, what they should have been counting on is that God keeps his word. And he had told them that if you do this, I'll bless you. But if you do this, if you disobey, if you become rebellious, I'm going to have to deal with you the way a parent deals with a child. But remember our comments on hearing. Even in lamentation and mourning and woe, you can find the Lord. In fact, it was to bring his people back to himself that these events were determined upon them. The Lord had reached out to them in every conceivable way only to be refused time and time again. He must now discipline them by departing from them for a time without ever abandoning them. Think of it as a centuries-long timeout. The children of Israel are in a long timeout while they're contemplating what they've done, you know. And so we want to teach all the Word of God and see Jesus in every part. Now, chapter 3, verse 1. See, we're moving now. We're crushing chapters. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. Eat what you find translates, eat what is before you. It was to be an exclusive diet of scroll, but it included everything in the scroll, the whole of it. We do not apologize for believing the Bible to be the authoritative, inspired word of God. Everything in it, the whole of it. Indeed, if it is not, then we've got nothing. We've got nothing. You know, I mean, if if the Bible is not fully authoritative, inspired, the word of God, we've got nothing to share with anybody. We might as well just pack it in. Nothing to say that is any value to anyone because God must reveal himself to us. And the danger here, of course, not so much that people outright reject the word of God, but in each generation there's a group of people that seems to get raised up by the enemy that says, well, the Bible contains the word of God. Part of it is the Word of God. There are things in it that are the Word of God, but a lot of things are not the Word of God, and so we have to figure out what parts are. Who figures that out? How do you know? 
Well, they only pick out the parts that seem cool, you know. But even then, they always choose the Sermon on the Mount because it seems cool. But you can't do the Sermon on the Mount. No one can keep the, 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 you know, the Beatitudes apart from becoming born again and, and all the other things that are in the Bible. So it, it, we're, it's, it's the Word of God. Now, after eating, Ezekiel was to go speak. A reminder that we never take in the Word only for ourselves. The very nature of God speaking to us is that we might go speak to others. Notice that Ezekiel is told about going and speaking before he eats. This is another predisposition that we should cultivate. I want to know more Jesus so I can show more Jesus. He hasn't taken a bite yet. All he's been told is to hear and, uh, you know, uh, and now he's being told to go and speak. Now in verse 2, I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. H.A. Ironside is a Bible commentator. If you're not familiar with him, you want to be. He has an interesting take on this phrase. He says the phrasing indicates that Ezekiel took in the portion but didn't swallow it at first. It doesn't indicate his reluctance to do so, only his patience. He waited on the Lord before swallowing. You might say that Ezekiel chewed on it for a while. While there is value in reading large portions of Scripture and in reading through the entire Bible in a period of time, don't neglect waiting on the Lord over a certain passage for Him to reveal its treasures to you. I remember being a young Christian and um, we listened to somebody who we thought was especially profound and in our lives it happened to be Don McClure who just, you know, is just so insightful when it comes to just nailing things, you know. And I remember one time Pam said, how do, how do people learn things like that? And I said, oh, they're in books. You know, they read books and stuff. And so, and, and then later I started reading books. I said, I can't find this stuff, you know. <laughs> There's nothing here, you know. And then, every, then you'd read something like, you know, then you'd find an A.W. Tozier or an Alan Redpath or, you know, somebody like that. Think, oh, oh, this is in book. But you started to get the sense that it was in their books because they waited on the Lord. In fact, uh, Redpath, who we like, Alan Redpath, he tells a story of when he first went to Chicago to Pastor Moody Church. A.W. Tozier was also in Chicago and Tozier invited him to, to meet with him one morning uh, in fact, he told me he could come anytime he wants. He told him, you know, he, that he had a particular place on the, the lake shore that he always went in the morning to, to meditate and to pray and to read God's word. And Redpath said, I don't know if he said he went once or just a couple of times, but he said he just felt like he was treading on holy ground because that was where Tozier met with God and got these insights. And, and I began to understand that these men and other men and, and all men and women of God can wait on the Lord, that we can just meditate on the Word of God. We can chew on the Word of God. We can take a portion of Scripture and just tell the Lord, hey, I'm not moving from here. I'm going to read over here. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do all the things, that, but I'm going to just wait on you and you're going to, you're going to show me something about yourself in this passage of Scripture. And the more I read it, the closer I'm going to get to you. You're going to start to reveal words to me that I didn't see before, connections that I hadn't made before, images that I didn't understand before, because, Lord, you're worth waiting for. I'm just going to chew on, I'm just going to ruminate on, I'm just going to wait on this word. And that's what Ezekiel is picturing for us. Verse 3, he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey and its sweetness. Now Ezekiel puts it all together. 
He ate and discovered the taste was like honey and sweetness. The scroll went down into his belly and was digested in his bowels. It was assimilated into his system, strengthening and nourishing his spiritual man for the ministry that he was called to. Now, let's review the predispositions we should cultivate because uh, Ezekiel tells us three things that occurred or that he was cultivating or that we should cultivate before we really take in the Word of God. First, we talked about the predisposition to hear the Word by looking for Jesus in the volume of the book. And I'm warning you, it's easy to miss the Lord. It really is. We get caught up in do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, doctrines and duties and details, all very important in their context. But the context is a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We're looking for the Lord. Uh, some guys came to the disciples one time and they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. Meaning they wanted to be led into the presence of the Lord. And that's the attitude we should have when we come to the Word of God, when we come to church, when we're at a Bible study. I want to learn everything that I can. I want the facts, the figures. I want to know that Jericho, you know, in the archaeology and all that. That's no problem with any of that but I want to see Jesus. When I think of that Jericho, I want to remember that God came to, uh, that Jesus revealed himself to Joshua and he said, I am the captain of the Lord's hosts. And Joshua said, are you for me or against me? And he says, what? Neither is what he said. But uh, he says, I'm the, Lord, I'm the captain of the Lord's hosts. And Joshua took off his shoes and he worshiped the Lord there. And, you know, it wasn't just a battle it was a spiritual battle, and it was a, who, who are you going to put for? They burnt the city as an offering to the Lord. Uh, and Achan found some problems there later on, you know, because he took from that city. And so it's about the Lord. Second, I want to be practicing biblical separation from the world. I'm to be in the world, but not of the world. Only by remaining separated can I ever hope to actually reach others? And this is a, it can be tricky, I understand. And this is where a lot of times we get into rules, oh, you can't do that, you shouldn't do that, you oughtn't to do that. And, and I, there's a place for that. I, obviously, there's some things that I think you'd have to say, hey, you're, you're a Christian, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, others are these big gray areas, we like to say, but let's sweep that all aside and just say, I just want to walk with the Lord. I want to have the sense that I am actually walking with the Lord, yoked together with Him. He's right here. Is this what I want to be doing with Jesus? Some, you know, some things, sure. I mean, Jesus, I think, had a good time, even during His ministry. You know, they walked, they talked, they went on boats. Of course, storms always came up, but, you know, they went boating. They fished. They liked to fish, you know, those guys. And, and, but they did it in a spiritual way. Uh, in a way that, 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 you know, kept them separate from the world. And so, Christians, the other extreme, you know, we go to extremes. Either we have too much liberty or we're too legalistic. And nobody wants, you know, people look at us, they think, well, you're no different than me. Why do I want to be a Christian? Or it's like, I don't want to be like that, you know, never cutting my hair, wearing, you know, ten outfits at a time, you know, to cover myself. And I mean, so there's a balance and, and there's a way of doing that. And then reaching them is a third predisposition I must cultivate. My relationship with Jesus is intimate, but never exclusive. I want to share him with others. God is always holding out a portion of his word for you and I. 
we need to be more predisposed to it before we take it in. And then I think we will get a whole lot more nourishment uh, and strengthening from it than we would otherwise.